On the 34th edition of the Twin Geek Cast, we're going to the Summer Isles to look at their original Wicker Man. Toys come to life in the box office. And I'll be your ambassador of anime as we look at Neon Genesis Evangelion. The Twin Geek Cast theme is provided by andrewnapiermusic.com. So this week I've explored a little bit of anime. Oh yeah, that's right that you're doing this, uh, and I'm immensely disappointed in you. <laughs> I've decided to become the ambassador of anime for a website. Yeah, and after what now almost a year or so of knowing you, being entirely vehemently anti-anime, you've suddenly unexpectedly switched sides, and I can't believe it. I feel like this heel turn is mostly caused by the Neon Genesis Evangelion, but I feel like I could be a good ambassador for the anime. And I, I feel like I was always a inner otaku, is that what we call oh, ourselves? Oh, please don't say that. Oh, God, that's cringe, cringe. Why cringe? <laughs> I, I just don't understand. Like, I wish anyone listening out there could have the perspective I do seeing how long you spent bashing people who like anime like just like specifically pointing at them and laughing and and giving even me shit for liking like three anime and now here you are you're like yeah anime is the best thing in the world check out my body pillow here that i got and i speak japanese now Uh, konnichiwa um i'm i'm very excited to be our brand ambassador though because i feel very passionately about neon genesis evangelion and i because i've been a lifelong fan of the form i feel like i'm a really good advocate do you think this is going to carry on to any additional anime we would be covering attack on titan when it comes back around or anything no i think this is the end of the road also <laughs> <laughs> it was such a long journey um i spent 16 hours watching all of uh, Neon Genesis this week, along with the movie. Um, I'm, I'm going to watch the other movies before the new one comes out, which they're calling like 3.0 plus 1.0, which bothers me. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm, I'm glad to hear that it's going to be over as soon as it began, because this was <laughs> quite ridiculous, to say the least. Uh, I I found a lot in in the movie, though. Like, um, I, I'm surprised how much content they really pack in and it's obvious they're taking a lot of themes. Um, I've realized that like before this, they didn't really have this kind of anime made for TV, right? Like it was all made around brands, but this kind of allowed them to create something original and completely new. I don't know. I wouldn't know because I only watched like three animes. I said, "Man, you're the one who's the anime expert. You tell me. Is this what they've been doing all along? Is this some revolutionary new thing?" Uh, yeah. Um, Neon Genesis is apparently a revolutionary thing, and it matters. Uh, the characters are great. Uh, there are no problems with it at all. Um, and it's better than any of your uh, cartoons. <laughs> Can you tell me what like inspired this sudden interest in this? Like, I, I was not under the impression this was even on your radar. I mean, it, it's always been on my radar for about, I guess, probably about 20 years. <laughs> I've wanted to watch Neon Genesis uh, I expected it to be like a one-off thing, and I was like, oh, maybe I'll be interested, but I was hooked the, why, the entire time. Why this one? Why, why are you brought to this one in particular? There's so many other anime. Um, I think it's an interest in the in the 
more like organic design of like the mechas and stuff and that it's a lot of uh it's a lot more detailed than i see in a lot of anime um it's very clear that they have high production and they're pulling from a lot of japanese influences a lot of ultraman and uh every anime that came before it i i grew up with like macross um and gundam wing and so i feel very influenced by those things mm-hmm. well I don't know. I don't know what else to say. I am utterly flabbergasted by this, but I guess I guess that I'm happy that you are enjoying anime in some facet. I'm gonna remember this for the next time when you start shitting on whatever the new anime thing is. <laughs> I'm gonna make it a weekly seg- segment and uh, check in on the the latest anime that I've been watching. Mm-hmm. Um, looking forward to next week's uh, FLCL. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> I don't know, man. You know, I'm. I just feel like we swap places now because I'm incredibly like you could name any other anime and I'm like what I don't I don't know exactly I know like the main shonen ones but that's about it. Yeah, um, I I like Samurai Champloo. I mean, we've never talked anime, so here's our moment. Uh, that one has a lot of really good uh, musical tie-ins to the samurai idea, which right. that that captures my interest. You know, you know, funny enough, we own that. My fiance always wants me to watch Samurai Champloo, but I I just don't have a ton of it just right now. And she's so probably good. she'll probably be listening to this and then she'll come home afterwards and be all like, now we have to watch it because you know on the podcast and mention it. All right, Asia, as the <laughs> ambassador of anime for the podcast, I, I demand that you and David watch the Samurai Champloo, one of the greatest animes of all time. It's not happening for a while, honey. I ain't got time for this. <sighs> I feel like you should. I don't know. There's uh, have you seen? Have you seen Cowboy Bebop? Yes, I've seen Cowboy Bebop. I didn't finish it entirely, okay. which which is weird because it's that's so fine. short. You know, you should finish it. Like it's like what twenty episodes, but whatever. I, yeah, I, that's, I've seen it at least. I, I can think say that's I've seen a realization it. that I've had is that I'm only going to watch short animes because honestly, I don't have that much interest. And, you don't, uh, don't want to watch One Piece? They're still going. It's like nine hundred something chapters in now. Well, I've been reading this week, like, shows like Naruto, they have, like, four seasons of just filler that doesn't actually mean anything. I, that, I'm not going to watch a show like that. That is 100% true. Naruto is an infamous amount of filler. What I like about this one is it everything means something. Like, there's a lot of, uh, you could call it jargon, but the words actually mean something when they're talking about, like, human instrumentality and stuff. Mm-hmm. You you kind of see what they mean with the, the peop- way they're paired with their mechs and the very human connection they have uh, a lot of it's like a psychodrama playing out in mechs which i really appreciate mm-hmm. all right well i'm gonna cut off this conversation here because <laughs> this is a movie podcast damn it i'm not getting sucked into this anime vortex <laughs> we were talking about a movie one of the best movies of all time well, we're, we're, talking Genesis about, Evangelion. we're talking about real movies now we're talking about the movies that you actually cared about you know two weeks ago so <laughs> Let's get on. I haven't watched any actual movies, so I'm just going to talk about anime. <laughs> uh, All right. Well, well, let's look at the box office. I know, I know, you've seen some stuff here. I got to get you back on track. I got to heal you from this anime curse. My so, daughter's a little sick, so I'm gonna try to roll through it the best I can. All right. All right. Here at uh, number ten, we have Dark Phoenix somehow still hanging on here. I didn't get a, I didn't get to talk about it because you and Bro were here last week talking about it. Yeah, I. I listened to last week's bro has some good thoughts on it and read his review on the site. I did. I did listen to to bro's awful impression of me (laughs) while he was talking about all of this. (laughs) By the way, would you like to introduce the next one as bro? Uh, I'm just going to play a 
a clip of Dane Cook speaking because that's my best impression <laughs> I could come up with. <laughs> he's got a he's got a Dane Cook cadence to the way he talks. That's great. <laughs> can you can you give us a little bit of it or you, No, you no, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna embarrass myself here. Like he did. Okay. God, was that an awful impression. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But uh, yeah, what do we uh, have at nine? Uh nine we have Anna, which I didn't know anything about till I looked up and I saw it's abysmal score and i'm like oh, i wonder why that is and then i saw it was a luke Besson film and everything made sense i think that's such a big bomb for him right i mean he's been bombing lately what you want to talk about big bombs from luke Besson? let's just look back two years and look at valerian i know uh i feel like he i feel like lucy was kind of a mistake how big it got so yeah well that's uh that's kind of the other big bomb that he's had recently as well. I think the last successful thing he was even involved with was the original Taken film, which he wrote. Oh, Lucy wasn't a bomb. It made insane money, right? Oh, well, it was like a critical bomb, I'm pretty sure. Everyone hated yeah. that, didn't they? Oh, yeah. I think so. I, don't I think know. it way outperformed. It made about $463 million box office. Mm-hmm. But, but Valerian was an infamous bomb just lately. Like, it basically tanked that studio, right? Oh yeah, yeah that that was a terrible bomb, <laughs> way expensive too. So uh, maybe after this one, he won't get a lot of money. Maybe I don't. Uh, know. I, f- I felt like Valerian could have been good. Like you just had awful casting in it, like awful actors in it. But the actual, like the actual production design, all the visuals, everything he had going on there was really good. It was yeah. just everything else that was awful, like absolutely awful. <laughs> is there some reason we should be canceling Ben Besson? I feel like there is. Uh, I mean, he's got a thing for little girls but who in hollywood doesn't nowadays anyway uh <laughs> number eight we have godzilla king of the monsters uh which i'm also not going to see but uh i might watch uh the shin godzilla which is by the guy who made neon genesis evangelion because are you already bringing it back to show. this oh my god no no keep it on my box office <laughs> so the thing is that anno was uh, able to create this uh shin godzilla because he had time between a uh, evangelion 3.0 and 4.0 so i'm very excited to uh explore more of that universe oh well yeah i've heard good things about shin godzilla i'm not gonna acknowledge anime stuff from here on forward but yes and as far as godzilla king of the monsters go i've heard middling things about it you know uh it just seems like it's another like the american godzillas you just can't seem to get right it's a it's a japanese thing and we got no business sticking our nose in it in it oh yeah yeah we should just stay away yeah i i agree with that definitely (laughs) At number seven, we have uh, John Wick, Chapter 3. Um, and uh, I think I was, I was surprised that you didn't get as much out of it. I felt like it was something you would have really enjoyed. I, I might more on a second time, but, you know, I always have that problem with the movie. Like, once it loses me on something, it takes a whole lot to get me back in. And it, John Wick just didn't, and it, it lost me once it started going, like, way too over the top, and it lost sight of its characters, and it just became about ridiculous action beats and introducing crazy world elements that are very nonsensical and all that crap did you hear bro on our uh matrix thoughts by the way yeah like here's the thing is that i don't think that the matrix isn't an influential film that's extremely stupid and (laughs) like that's the big thing it's just i'd like john wick better as a film like just personally I think it is it is better. That's definitely a personal. Thing. Like if I had to pick between the two as to which is the more important and like technically objectively better film, then yeah, I'll pick The Matrix. But like right. I think John Wick is just the better, more enjoyable film overall, and has aged a bit better, even though it's been like only four years or five years or whatever it is. Versus The Matrix, just is not, twenty. 
Just not as good as the Animatrix, right? I don't know. God damn it, stop bringing up anime in this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Number six, there's no way you can link Elton John to fucking anime. (laughs) There's not. It's Rocket Man here. Uh, we both love Rocket Man. Uh, I wish I wish we could force the our site people to go watch it, but it's yeah. not going to happen. No, I've been telling everyone I know in person to to go see Rocket Man as like the first film I actively have recommended this year. Yeah, um, I I really I really enjoyed it, and the more I think about it, the more. I, well, we went out for burgers this week, and nice. I heard both versions of Rocket Man, and uh, I don't know when that soundtrack version came on. I I feel good about it. That restaurant played a disproportionate amount of Elton John songs. <laughs> he did. Because <laughs> uh, there was that. They had Tiny Dancer at one point. I heard your song as well. I don't they, know. They play a lot of uh, Queen, Elton John, Billy Joel in there. It was it was weird. It was like exactly those, like that particular artist niche there, like all three of them. Like if you threw in a David Bowie song or two, you'd have the trifecta with the British They must have been going off like a Elton John playlist at some point. <laughs> like... <laughs> Here's play me songs that sound like Elton John. Yeah, I don't know. It was odd, but it was a pleasant surprise. I liked it, and it was it was rather fitting for us both was, being there. <laughs> it was nice because right when I walked into the restaurant, I sat down and I found us a table, and, and I look at the door. Rocket Man comes on, and a guy comes in with like his NASA shirt right, on. He's, and I'm like, <laughs> he's the Rocket Man. It was very funny. If, if, I mean, we're not going to talk anymore about the film here because we had a whole podcast about it. Go listen to that if yeah. you want to know. Otherwise, we're going to talk about dudes in NASA shirts. Yeah, for sure. NASA's pretty cool. At number five, we have Secret Life of Pets 2 or or SLOP, as the acronym um, goes. This is what happens when you watch American cartoons. It's very conservative and uh, it's nasty. I, I don't know why. I don't think I brought it up while you were on here, but... Um, it's a lot of uh, heteronormative, like your your only mission in life is to reproduce and to be with the same sex. Why is this a dog movie? Mm-hmm. I think you said that uh, earlier. I don't know because I guess dogs don't have like a homosexual nature to them. I'd be I'd be interested to see know. a film about that though. Make a kid movie about uh, you know the struggle of homosexuality in, in dog life. I think that's an interesting angle you could go ahead. Certainly, <laughs> I'm sure it's an anime. Number four, Men in Black International. Um, not an anime, but uh, I I think that first uh, Men in Black is the only uh, Rotten Tomato approved uh, Will Smith movie. Mm-hmm. I think you were saying that last time. Like you guys talked about what, like Seven Pounds or uh, Pursuit of <laughs> Happiness. In contrast, I think he may have had something else that was successful. Um, there's nothing that got to seventy percent, which is the Rotten approved thing, but. Uh, I mean, you get some stuff that's, like, edging up there, right? Uh, yeah, you get, like, Men in Black 3 is, like, two percentages off. Mm-hmm. That's about I, it. I, s- I swear there's something. I gotta look at this, because I feel like he's had at least something. It's like, it, it, Independence Day isn't? I don't think so. Uh, I think it's probably close. Because there's, like, a lot of 90s Will Smith stuff that's, like, actually good and successful. Oh, here was it. Like, this is when, like, now I'm remembering, because I was listening and have, forming my opinions while you guys talk. And you were talking about, like, dramatic stuff he did, like actual Oscar-worthy stuff, you know? And yeah. you guys mentioned, like, he's been doing the Oscar-baity stuff lately with, like, collateral beauty and shit. Mm-hmm. And then he did, you know, what, like, seven pounds, like I mentioned earlier. So, but he, you guys didn't mention Ali. Oh, yeah. Ali, I guess, would be it. Yeah. Would be a good one. 
Like, that's his only time he actually acts, like every other time he's playing Will Smith, but in that he actually tries to be Ollie and does a pretty decent job at it. Ollie's actually pretty good. It's not great, but, you know, it's a it's a decent biopic. It looks like he does have a handful, so I should say that uh, it was the only time that 90s version of Will Smith that he's playing uh, in the Men in Black was successful. Yeah, I, uh, I agree that that's, that's your peak Will Smith there, is your Men in Black, and everything after that's kind of just an invitation. Um, I I didn't have a lot of fun with the new one. There's not a lot that really happens. Uh, it has a lot of the Marvel kind of joke writing, which is like, let's keep it clippy and have a joke every few minutes. But unlike the original Men in Black, nobody plays it straight, so it's not funny. Yeah, that's the thing is that the first Men in Black, you got to realize, the first Men in Black does not work because of Will Smith. It works because of Tommy Lee Jones. Tommy Lee Jones is yeah. the winner in that film. Yeah, he he's the reason that Will Smith is funny in that film. Mm-hmm. That's the, entirely the reason why he is the crux of that film. That super, you know, straight face, stone faced, uh, you know, straight man throughout the whole time there. That is a Tommy Lee Jones movie. Don't get it mixed up. But uh, I don't know. Uh, Tessa Thompson looks good in a suit. I guess if that's the only reason you're going, then that's all you're going to get. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, speaking of other films you like, Aladdin here is number three still. <laughs> We've talked about it enough. I hate Aladdin. I have a review on the site. <laughs> Go look at that. I've seen some memes floating around with it now, but even like the, uh, the using the meme format of like the video clip, like I can't even stand that. It just looks so bad. Not even I'm a meme so form tired. is this enjoyable. <laughs> I'm so tired. All right. Well, well, what about these next two here? These ones might be better. Number two is Child's Play. Child's Play. I, I I've been trying to get back to the original lately. Uh, I, I like the original format. I'm surprised how much uh, kind of magic it has of, of like the traditional 80s movie in it. Mm-hmm. I think I might have to throw the first one on my, my Halloween list this year because I haven't quite seen it before. But I know Jesse is he's our resident Child's Play fanatic. And he's got a yeah. review coming up for it. That we're putting it up this week, right? Yeah, it'll be up by the time this is up. Uh, I just I edited it last night and uh, it's... Uh... <laughs> It sounds like it's pretty middle of the road, and it's not really associated with the original Child's Play. Like the original writer went on and made his own uh, Cold of Chucky, which is getting its own TV adaptation. And now, uh, I'd really suggest reading Jesse's review if you want like a lot of context of where the series has come from. Yeah, I think that was the interesting learning about it and how this remake was even allowed to be made because essentially they have uh, what like Orion has you know, property, like, ownership of remaking the film, and they don't need Mancini's permission for it, even though that's his character, and he's been the one driving the franchise for decades. Yeah, but they're not exactly going as Chucky, either, so it's really interesting to see which, uh, yeah, how that works out. Mm-hmm. It sounds like it's very different, like, I mean, this seems like <laughs> definitely more of a kind of modern horror film as opposed to the Chucky series, which definitely seems more leaning on the comedy end of things there, really going for that. Yeah, uh, it sounds like Aubrey Plaza is a bit wasted based on his review, which is sad. Mm-hmm. I think she's so funny. I have a hard time imagining her as a mom character anyway. Like, she's still a very Aubrey plaza character in my mind. Yeah, I think she's getting there to where she could be, the, like, the sarcastic mom. But uh, she's, she's like, at the early stages of the mom phase of her career. So. Right. Probably a, l- a little bit more before she gets there. Yeah. All right. And then uh, I just feel like if you paired her with Chucky, that would be like a comedy success. Right? I feel like just pairing Chucky with Andy isn't a great deal. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I again, I, I don't have much of an opinion, not knowing much about the Child's Play series. So, 
Uh, speaking of uh, animated pets and boys named Andy. Uh, yeah, I, I guess there's a connection there. Yeah, or animated Toy- toys. Rather. Yeah, Toy Story Four. That's actually a, an interesting connection. I didn't realize. Like now, all of the kind of propagandist posters for all the child's play stuff with them torturing the Toy Story stuff makes sense because the, the kid's name is Andy. I never put the two and two together. Yeah, I think I just made the connection. <laughs> I I love Toy Story Four. I I'm really surprised by it. I went in thinking I'd be really cynical about it. I'd give, like, a kind of scrappy review that would uh, be like, I'll show Disney this time, but uh, no. Yeah, that's the thing, is that all of your, your Disney reviews you've done, like, three or four now, have all been <laughs> terribly negative of their films to, to enrage this, the fans of Disney, but this time, it's different. I mean, this time I show that I'm not just against the corporation, right? Because uh, if you make a powerful message and you have a great send-off to a franchise, I think that's such a powerful thing and i felt pretty good about where toy story 3 left it but this doesn't step on that at all well that's the thing is that i feel like we all kind of had that same feelings that nobody wanted toy story 4 at all everyone was very satisfied with how toy story 3 ended back in 2010 we all kind of grew up with it and it's very much reflected our moving on and like going on to the college at that time that was right at the right time to hit us all emotionally and i feel like Mm -hmm. that's carried over still a lot so when four came around they're like what is this going to be and you see like the trailer and like boat peeps like running around like a ninja or something in it yeah and it just doesn't make any sense like looking at those those first trailers and i'm like this looks awful i don't want to see this i don't I, I, this story was done so I'm, I'm, I'm so happy to say that it's not representative at all of the film mm-hmm. i'm i'm very shocked to hear that this was actually like not just from you but from basically everybody i've seen who's seen the film like this is a satisfying additional like epilogue to the story that is thematically I, continuing of the series i was worried enough because it was supposed to come out in 2017 then last year and then incredibles got its production cut short just so this could come out this year so i felt like there was a huge scramble for it and i i feel a lot of anxiety behind the creative process mm-hmm. and i've i kind of internalized it while watching it there's i have been talking a lot like with my wife about sending the kid to uh, kindergarten early or holding her back. So, uh, watching Bonnie go through that with her toys was a, that's the only thing that got me to cry. I mean, a lot of it's really sentimental, um, but never like mawkishly sentimental. It's very, very well judged. Mm-hmm. I was, I'm very surprised to see that, but I, I was kind of curious as well, especially since we had even more uh, lowered expectations after Incredibles 2 didn't do as well as everyone hoped, which yeah. is which was interesting because Incredibles 2 was the sequel from Pixar everyone actively wanted. Like, that yeah. was the film that was most asking for a sequel, not Cars <laughs> or anything like that. <laughs> clearly, clearly that one got thrown under the bus just so this could have the chance to have four great uh, Toy Story movies, which is unfortunate because that's the sequel people want, but, uh, but we got the sequel we need. Mm-hmm. I, th- I, I do think this is especially with like a visionary like Brad Bird behind the helm. I'm, yeah, I was very surprised to see Incredibles two did not end up as n- good as we'd wanted it to. But I'm pleasantly surprised to see that the alternative outcome is Toy Story four being good. I I, I don't think I'll go check yeah. it out in theaters still because I don't you know I don't no? do that. But I'll see it eventually when it comes around. It'll end up on Disney Plus. I bet right. Oh, I bet it will. Like a. If you put that on Plus, people are going to sign up. Yeah, I'd sign up just to check it out, you know. Especially yeah. with how cheap that rate is. That seems 
I mean, yeah, it'll be less than going to the movies for it to do that. Yeah. This section of the podcast paid for by Disney+. Plus. It's. I mean, if this is the only time of the year that I'm positive toward Disney, I'm I'm gonna allow myself that. But is is there anything else Disney wise we have to look forward to this year? We have Lion King next month. Yeah. What What are your feelings on that? I know everyone started pretty hype on it, like in the announcement. But as trailers have come more, like I'm definitely down on it now. I'm not as high as I was because it it looks like Jungle Book, which I don't care for. Mm-hmm. It oh just there's there's no personality in these characters. There's no life in their drawings. Uh, it's just it's literally a lion. <laughs> I hope it's I hope it's like a Toy Story situation and the trailers just suck. We'll see. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I guess like the only thing I know they'll they'll do Simba better because Donald Glover is just an obviously better actor than Matthew Broderick ever has yeah. been. So that that yeah will the line be delivery will be a lot better than it used to be. Uh, maybe the songs will be better. They have better musical talent maybe maybe i don't know it it depends on you know like you look at who you're swapping for and whatnot like i can't imagine hakuna matata is going to be better like nathan lane was just fantastic in in the first film you know there and now what you've got like seth rogan in this one instead Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, who do we have who's playing timon who's kumba here i don't even know who's playing timon in in this Um, one i know that seth rogan Rogan. yeah then uh timon we have uh Billy Eichner, that's fine, I guess. Uh, yeah, I don't even know. <laughs> I know he has his show Billy on the Streets. That's that's all I know. <laughs> he asks that... people annoying questions on True TV or something. Oh, we've got a uh, we got Frozen Two coming this year as well, don't we? Yeah, that will that will be a big part of my year, of course. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I I keep I keep seeing the thing in the in the theaters and. Uh, before Toy Story, all the kids were like shouting at it. I'm like, uh, they want this Frozen sequel more than they want this Toy Story. I'm in a weird time in my life. Well, yeah, because they grew up with Frozen, where we grew up with Toy Story. That's the great thing, though. It's it's the first one since my daughter's been born. So, I, and it's about a young girl. So I was very sentimental about it. Mm-hmm. About uh, yeah, the... it's really sweet. I I hope you'll watch it this year. So. I th- I think I might. You know, I don't know. It depends on if it falls into my lap or not. I don't want to pay money to see it. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, I think uh, in the meantime, we can talk about our box office this week. Or not box office. Shit. No. Redo. Redo. We can talk about our uh, selected film this week. We're talking about uh, The Wicker Man. about the original one not the nick cage one right i brought notes for both wait wait that's the one you watched i watched nick cage you did 
The bees, oh, yeah. Shit. Oh, this will be awkward. And the bear, I, I remember there was a bear in that movie. Yeah, I don't know. Actually, I, I, that is not the one I watched. Just meme potential there. No, we watched the, the original Christopher Lee, the, cult classic. The Superman. 1973 version. Yeah. Yeah. This is actually my first time watching it. I hadn't watched it yet. I need an excuse to watch it, and that was your suggestion <laughs> for this week. Yeah, as uh, because we have uh, what's it called, Midsummer? Do do we call it Midsummer? Midsummer? I That's don't... coming out the next week. I don't know. I've just taken a policy of not pronouncing things on this podcast now because of how often we've been wrong. Okay. Midsummer is coming next week, that Ari Aster movie. So I feel like it was just the right time to kind of get into a, a what would you call it? Like a, a what do you like call a, those? Like, like summer festival? Summer, I guess. Yeah, summer festival. Is that the connection we're going with here? I wasn't sure. I don't know a lot about it. It's not a horror film. Um, it's Yeah, it looks like a horror film. Yeah, I guess that kind of works then. But yeah, I, I would say that Wicker Man is kind of very much that kind of festivalish film. I mean, there is like you know festivals based off of Wicker Man. Like it take they take the name from it and everything, and it's it takes place around the beginning of summer May. May Day is when the the, the event is in the film, and mm-hmm. it's kind of all about that pagan practice stuff. That's the whole kind of push of the film here, which I think it's really unique angle. I, I've anything I've seen that has very mm-hmm. similar feelings here is all kind of taking influence from Wicker Man. It has a nice feeling of a Scottish horror too, as as you oh the the lead character of course is a cop and he flies into this uh, kind of enchanting but kind of haunted town to see uh, uh, about this lost girl that maybe nobody knows anything about. Um, yeah, the place is called a uh, Summer Isle, and it's like in in the Scot Scotland area. There, it's obviously it's got the beautiful you know scotland mountains in there the you know the region the islandy region there it's very pretty the opening shots all kind of aerial footage of him flying in on the seaplane they're very nice shots there's like a softness to the lens that's used and it feels like a everything's sort of glowing and alive in its own way um which feels right for a film that has a lot of messaging about fertility in it yeah, well, that's whole kind of a whole pagan angle thing there. There is a lot of, obviously, you know, fertility symbol, and that's where a lot of those kind of holidays come from. I think that's the interesting angle. Like, I think we forget often how often, uh, how much of our holidays that we celebrate on a regular basis are all kind of pagan influenced. Christmas, Halloween, and Easter, they're all huge, huge pagan holidays that we just yeah. stole. We stole them entirely. Hmm. And uh, Wicker Man plays a little bit into that uh, religious imagery. It's interesting because it came out the same year as Don't Look Now, and it has a lot of commonality with that in terms of the paganism and the uh, the uh, kind of useless policeman. Well, also the Britishness. You know, they're both yeah. big British films. <laughs> True, and and yeah, accomplished British horror, mm-hmm. uh, which was big in early seventies, and it was a good time for it. Yeah, no, I, I definitely think so as well. That 70s, you know, the 70s film aesthetic to it. I like the gritty style, the approach of it there. There's, you know, of course, we all love our 70s films here. And, I mean, my daughter was six, so I just had her on the iPad, but I wasn't that concerned about her, like, not watching it and just watching Frozen next to me. Right. <laughs> like, it's not that kind of horror film, which is nice. I need more of this. Yeah, there's no gore or anything awful. Not even really any blood. Is there? Is there any blood in the film? I don't recall any, really. Uh, there's some there's some pretty gory images of like bodies hung up and stuff, but uh, I wouldn't say there's a lot of like bloodshed in it. Like the 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 most kind of risque thing is that there is a lot of naked people in the movie. 
Like it, a lot. I mean, it is like a for fertility like fever dream isn't it it is it's very kind of fever dreamy and again of course you got the kind of the free uh, i love that conversation he has with christopher lee at one point where he's complaining about the naked people dancing outside like the schoolyard <laughs> or whatever and yeah. like they're jumping over fires naked and christopher lee's just like well yeah i mean it would be dangerous if you jumped over clothes <laughs> <laughs> it's so good christopher mm. lee's amazing too um, he, is, he plays so- a large part uh, ends up being a bit of a cult leader here. Well, I mean, that's kind of who Christopher Lee is anyway, right? He's a, right. you know, giant horror icon. He's in, you know, yeah. every big horror thing, everything, every, you know, nerds know him from being part of the Lord of the Rings and Star Wars as well. And um, I think it I think it works well between their characters, too. I feel like the casting's pretty good. Um, I like how the characters interact and how subtle they are. There's not a, a ton of development, but you could read a lot from the officer's face, what's going on, uh, where he comes from. Um, obviously, there's some that's real obvious, like the religious metaphors. But Yeah, so the the relig- religious metaphors or the, the kind of theme of Christianity versus paganism here is like an anvil to the head with how, yeah, how much they kind of painted. Especially like there's a pseudo-y flashback-y sequence early on that kind of shows mm-hmm. how devout the, the cop is as a Christian follower, which I'm like, all right, we didn't need like all of this to get the idea that he is against them or at least you could have done it in a more particular way like if he showed up like holding a rosary or something or like he had a rosary like like i think all i needed to see was him when he first prays before he goes to bed he gets down on his knees right at his bed and he you know says a prayer and that's kind of when it first clicked i was like ah i see but that's when it launches into the full flashback where you see him (laughs) at like a whole communion ceremony and everything Yeah, you don't need the communion part of my body. Yeah, we get it. He's religious, man. But uh, I think it I think it accomplishes enough later on when he tries to make the broken cross and it doesn't work out. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, the, and that's the thing is that it's a it's a strong theme throughout the film. It's just it's laid yeah. on pretty thick. And that's so there's the, a... I think that's the only downside of this film that I have exactly is that everything is really, really thick. Like the atmosphere is and that works, but uh a lot of the theming is is a little bit too thick. It's soupy. Mm-hmm. I, I I can definitely agree with that. But the you know the good things about it are also very heavy in the film. But I think yeah. those are the unique aspects of it. I, I was saying early on, like with how much music there was in the film, I'm like, this is a horror musical. I think, which is unique. I I mean, I can't think. Of, is there any another horror film that has musical like traits to it? Did you end up thinking that it, it categorized as one, that it had enough for you? Like, like just enough. Like, the musical aspects kind of back down in the latter half of the film. Like, it's, uh, you know, there was less full-on song sequences. But I, I think it's enough. Like, just the fact that it's interesting enough and, like, close enough. Like, I, I'm going to give it a pass enough to say that it is a musical. This is a horror musical. I'm saying that. <laughs> I think it, I think it's more fun to say that, right? It's more fun to approach it as a musical that... Um, there's a lot of really Scottish sounding songs. So yeah, there's a lot of it, folk folk music is kind of the big uh, thing that kind of pushing out of it throughout the, especially you got the kind of main theme one about the corn cornrows. I think the song is called or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, the the songs are very on point about uh, what the messaging is in the film too. <laughs> corn rigs. That's what it's called. <laughs> oh yeah. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of really uh, great music throughout it. Um, you know, I especially love the. The kind of weird one that goes in with the dance sequence of of Willow, the female yeah. character there, outside of his 
bedroom. Um, yeah, that that song's haunting as well because she's like banging on the door and you know his his Catholic guilt sweating down his head and he's he's just perspiring thinking of her. Um, but uh, I don't know. Uh, it has such a good feeling and a softness of focus on her. Yeah, I think uh, I definitely see now. Like I didn't think of this in the moment, but I realized afterwards when I was doing a little bit of research on the film that this was the short version that we happen to watch, which people don't seem to like quite yeah. as much. And that one of the reasons being that particular scene is like right at the beginning of the movie. And I do recall like mm-hmm. watching it. I'm like, oh, this came out of nowhere. That is just a full on yeah. writhing naked woman against a door banging for <laughs> to get this guy's attention. <laughs> Um, I don't know if I, uh, I think it is my favorite scene in the movie, just the way it's shot and how intricate it is and how loaded with feeling and uh, desire the, the characters are. I agree. I, I think those too. I did find out some interesting trivia about it as well, reading up about the film, is that apparently the actress didn't want to be filmed like fully nude. She found out later. Oh, she really? was like she, she was pregnant at the time as well, so she didn't want to be doing that. So she only filmed her stuff like top up so all the stuff you see where it's like full ass you know and movement yeah. and all that it's a it's a body double so oh. occasionally people would come up to her though with like screenshots from that scene with her ass and everything and ask her to yeah. sign it and she would refuse to because she's like that's not me that's not my ass <laughs> <laughs> what a weird thing to request though I mean, why wouldn't you? I can absolutely yeah. see. I mean, especially with the kind of cult fan base the film has, like that seems like exactly the picture you would choose to have someone sign. Yeah, I guess so. Um, I, it it does have that coldishness to it. Naturally, films about cults will attract cults, uh, and I think there was a lot of feeling of confidence from the actress too. I guess Christopher Lee said it's his favorite role he ever played. I I could see it. I'm certainly inclined to agree. Like this is. Like, uh, right around the time of all of his Hammer Horror films, where he's playing Godzilla, or not, fuck, not Godzilla, <laughs> uh, Dracula, where he's playing Dracula yeah. and, like, the mummy and whatnot, though, admittedly, I would love to see, I would lo- would have loved to see Christopher Lee playing Dracula, or, god, god damn it, I keep mixing it up now. <laughs> anyway. Godzilla? What? Yes, it would be cool if you played Godzilla. That was the stupid joke I was making. Okay. The point here all right. <laughs> is, at that time, right? at the time, he was playing the Hammer Horror you know, characters, and he kind of wanted a departure, and this was mm-hmm. a great way from that. Like, it's it's tangential enough, like it's still in that same vein. And I even read that they, uh, like, he offered the role of the cop to Peter Cushing, so it kind of fit in perfectly there yeah. with all those. But like, it's definitely more elevated in a, on an artistic level, and I feel like they're tapping into something greater here than you get with the kind of schlocky, you know, hammer horror films there, which don't have much, you know, weight to them. They're just kind of fun times. I mean, I love that it's based a lot around, like, things that are of the earth. Like, this guy's obviously from more uh, civilized parts, right? Like, he has all these civ- civilized constructs in his head. But he goes and all these people are just, like, named after flowers and trees. And they're talking about fertility and uh, eventually sacrifice. And he doesn't know what to make of any of this because it's all, it's all very natural. And, um, and against, you know, all these ideas he's had put in his head about religion well I, th- I think one of the most interesting things i found about it as well is that this is not like an ancient practice necessarily like they've they established in the film that this particular practice on summer isle only goes back two generations you know it's his grandfather who uh set this up mm. 
and I think that's a really interesting aspect. Like they're reviving these old pagan practices and like bringing in a new, you know, group of people into this. Like it's a very recent, you know, cult. I mean, they have the pictures of the years on the wall. There's only like a two rows of them, right? So it's been only it could have only been a couple decades at the very most. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems uh, but... like, you know, like it's a it's a grandfather down to the father, and now Christopher Lee is kind of taking yeah. over the cult there. And, and then it's, it seems like that's one of the things, like, oh, last year's picture's not even on there because they're trying to hide something from him. Right, that's all. So that's one thing we kind of skipped over here to get all the interesting stuff here is that the the beginning, the beginning of the film does a really great job of setting up this very creepy, mysterious, you know, suspect atmosphere. Like, everything's just really weird and off, and all the people act odd. Like, just from the moment he gets there on his plane and they <laughs> won't, like come help him get offshore like he's, he's asking right. for them to bring the dinghy and they're like no we don't want to help you <laughs> no we don't we don't need you here and he's like well i'm a cop and they're like well we don't have cops mm-hmm. I, get... I mean i get it like they're you know they're giving him a look and they they have their own thing going they don't want that outside interference obviously I'm kind of wondering if it's just a generally, like, it's got to be part way that it's just a generally British attitude as well, like an English atmosphere mm-hmm. there. It reminds me a bit of, you know, in the beginning of American Werewolf in London, where, like, they, you know, the two boys enter the bar and everyone's just very quiet. <laughs> like, the whole place goes quiet and, you know, they're all giving them dirty looks. It's all very unhelpful, keep to yourself kind of atmosphere. Yeah, I think that is something intrinsically British. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think so. I mean, this is our uh, Independence Day podcast, so we have to <laughs> slander other countries. That's true. It's, it's, it's our intrinsically American right. But no, I, I definitely <laughs> think that um, that this is kind of inherently British or you know European in that in that sense there, especially because of all the pagan stuff going on there. That's oh, an yeah. important historical aspect of the the region, and incorporating that. I like that at least one thing is off in everything. There's there's normalcy enough for him to keep buying into something, but but in every interaction or every detail of the background, there's at least one or two things that are generally off about it. Yeah, well, and and just generally the the behavior I think of the people is very weird because they're they're normal to to a certain way, like they interact like normal people, but something like just in their beliefs is off. Like where he goes in and talks with the school children, trying to figure out where this little girl has ended <laughs> up, and then he gets a whole explanation from the teacher that you know it's a you know they don't believe in and, the the word, and she specifically doesn't say dead, like she just mouths the word dead. <laughs> And I think the I think that's when we realize his doom or his fate is when he's in the school and it's such a small detail, but the kid lifts up their desk and they have this little roach that's uh, circling the pin and the roach is him. It's like the more that the roach circles, the closer it gets tied in and the less it could escape. So mm-hmm. that's like his warning and his final warning. But that's like take a it. yeah, a good metaphor there because the whole kind of quote unquote plot twist of the film essentially is that the girl was never missing you know she was always kind of there and everyone in the town the place was in on it to to bring in this cop they specifically there's there's an early kind of uh, symbol as well says he received light about this not from like his uppers in the police force or anything he himself specifically received a letter asking for him personally to investigate this which, you know, not a very good investigator that it took so long for him to kind of figure out that, that part out. 
Yeah, I mean, I figured it out beforehand, and I'm the audience. <laughs> yeah, I think that I think the film gives us probably too much information that it doesn't let us figure anything out on our own. Though. That's that's again, I think the kind of the the biggest issues here as well. Like we talked about, you know, one of the other issues, but the biggest thing I think more than anything is that there's a lot of exposition dumping at times. Yeah, and there's there's a lot of exposition in it. Um, I feel like when it's quiet, it's at its most confident. It's like when Will is singing her song, or there's like a really enchanting moment. There's it, there's a lot of magic in the film that's uh, that's really surprising. I mean, you call it a horror film, but it's really relaxing. Yeah, I think it is. Like I said, it's it's horror kind of in how offbeat everything is and the implications of like the ending and all that. It's not horror in your traditional sense, but I wouldn't call it anything else for certain. Yeah, I mean, you could you could see that it has groundwork for some thriller stuff. I don't know if you could feel like Shutter Island and stuff happens because we get stuff like oh, this, yeah. right? I think Shutter Island is a good comparison, but I think in the kind of same style vein as well, I think Don't Look Now, like we mentioned earlier, is also a kind of yeah. good companion piece to this. makes kind of perfect sense. Um, yeah, it, you could tell they're from the same time, like movies like this were getting made, and, and I love movies like this. Yeah, well, same time, same place, same, you know, almost everything kind of involved there. I think that makes for kind of perfect companion pieces. I love the kind of gritty aesthetic of both of them. You know, the the settings, they both have very unique special settings, I think, in both films. They have the, uh, on the Criterion channel where we watched it, they have the double feature with those on now, so I really recommend it to do both of them together, I think. Yeah, I think that's a, definitely a good recommendation. Uh, I think kind of the other big thing we got to talk about, you know, we got to talk about the ending as well because it's kind of the oh, yeah. big, big memorable set piece of the whole film. I I love, I love parts of the ending. I think a lot of the acting goes a little bit bad. Like the girl's a terrible actor. I think. Oh, like the the little girl, yeah, but she's a child actor. You kind of got to give an excuse to pass for child I actors mean, sometimes. Hopefully, she didn't work again, but. <laughs> Hopefully they really did sacrifice her. <laughs> maybe it cost her a career. <laughs> uh, maybe the crops were better the next year. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the, that's the kind of the whole thing they're building up. Like we mentioned, I think I think we drifted off there, but we mentioned that they they lured the cop here so that they can sacrifice him. That's the whole kind of plot build up at the ending there. The twist reveal is that ah, we were really going to sacrifice you this whole time. Um. Um, he really goes for it, trying to talk himself out of it too. Yeah. So those things that they start, they all kind of gang up on him. They grab him and they're you know bring him there, and he, he really tries to appeal to them, but just like in the most ridiculous, like this is no never in any universe going to work way possible. Like he's trying to appeal to their Christian sensibilities, which are non-existent. Yeah, true. He he is trying to appeal to things that they don't have established, so it's never going to work for him. Right, and, and this he, I was he makes ask. like a very rough play at it. Like, uh, you should just sacrifice your leader next year if this doesn't work. I want to see his blood out here. Yeah, and, and then everyone kind of just shrugs it off, like, no, no, it's not going to happen. Right, <laughs> it's this will work, like Christopher Lee kind of says. You know, that's their whole plan. Like, they're this is basically their big gambit here. Is that everything has been working for the sacrifices, the animal sacrifices they've been doing for decades upon decades, and this last year it just didn't work they didn't do anything so they're like well uh, we need a it it, it all works unless it doesn't so they should sacrifice the officer right well they need a person like he seems to be kind of this ideal candidate i think again the idea they communicate is because he's everything they're they're not he represents like the the um the old
old worlds, I guess, in the way. Or like, they make mention of like the old guard a lot. The old gods they talk about bringing back mm-hmm. is the idea. They're they're sacrificing to particular gods. You know, in this one, there's like the god of the sun and god of something else that I can't quite remember. Like it's it's a sacrifice to two gods. The ceremony is. I remember that. And we were thinking how impressively constructed the Wicker Man actually is. Yeah, so that's, again, the whole the name of the film, the big set piece there is, like, the actual Wicker Man that they burn, that they use as their sacrificial uh, device. And what's what kind of um, struck me first about it, looking at it, was all of the different compartments. Like, it's not just for a human to be sacrificed. No, there's, like, goats and animals stuck in there as well, right? Yeah, I read another interesting piece of trivia about... The, the particular Wicker Man piece and whatnot is that one of the goats was really scared to be inside there. And so like, he was like right above the actor who plays mm-hmm. the police officer. And so the goat uh, was so scared that he peed on him. Oh. <laughs> it looks like a hell of a construction and a, a very difficult thing to get all those components in the right place and to get those shots right. It's really impressive. Yeah, especially like that the final shot, the very striking final shot where the head collapses and then, you know, it kind of reveals the sun in the background yeah. there, which is really cool because it's got the, you know, kind of religious implication there in tandem because it is, you know, they're sacrificing to the sun god. So that's like, it's almost like it's passing on to him, like the sun is pleased or wherever you can take from that. It makes a lot more sense than the uh, newer movie with Nick Cage, right? The bees. yeah. <laughs> Not the bees. Is that, I don't even know, is that exactly how it ends like, I know that's in the ending. Like, they put bees on his head, which seems lame. Like, the, watching this film, I'm like, why would you do that? Just yeah. sacrifice him. Don't fuck I, with him. I mean, I get, like, the pollination theme of everything, but I feel like it's just there so Nick Cage could overact it. Not the no, bees. No, it totally is. And it worked because it's a giant meme that everyone will remember forever. I mean, Nick Cage is about as good as his memes. So. Mm-hmm. But I, I really enjoyed The Wicker Man, I have to say. Um, it was really interesting and unique uh, experience. There's definitely not a horror film quite like it. It's got the kind of cult vibes going on. I like the, the laid-back style of the cult. Like, you kind of dig the cult. You're like, yeah, these guys are cool. Yeah, I kind of want to hang out on the island for a while. <laughs> yeah, just, just don't get sacrificed, that's all. <laughs> just go on a... Pick up your farmer's almanac and go on a year that yields good crops. I think you'll be fine. I, yeah, I think that'd be great. Christopher Lee really does a great job in the role playing this kind of over-the-top character, but also, like, like he seems sincere in that he truly believes in this practice and is working in the best interest of his people. So, I found a good thing on Reddit. Yeah, well, I'm interested in The bee scene from The Wicker Man is still oh. one of the most scientifically accurate bee scenes in any media. Bee scientists wrote letters of praise to the film crew for the accuracy. Uh, Is that real? I don't believe you on that. (laughs) I guess so. I I don't think it fits the movie either, but that's fine. No, that's a meme. That's a total meme answer that's made up. No scientist watched that. (laughs) Why are scientists watching that? Looking for the uh, portrayal of bees. They were like, uh, Jerry Seinfeld's B movie wasn't very good, so you win. Uh, I guess they don't like jazz. Right. <laughs> Did you find um, anything else interesting on Reddit about the film? No, uh, just just that one fact for you. That's, is that the only thing Reddit has on The Wicker Man? I'm sure it has something more. Uh, 
I feel like there's a lot more of these daylight horror movies coming back, which uh, I'm always really interested in how horror will handle in the daylight. And here I think it does well. Mm-hmm. I definitely think this is kind of high up, I think, on mine. Like, and I like a variety of horror films. Like, I imagine, especially on like a reviewing, whenever I get around to seeing the extended cut, which is, yeah. you know, supposed to have more. Uh, then I think I could appreciate this film even more. It's definitely like, uh, I, I like horror films that are different, do something yeah. different. This one definitely is, and it has a different vibe to it. And uh, different implications, like, I like that. As far as for religious horror films go, like, this one's really high for me. What, what's a better religious, I guess I The could, Exorcist, but... Yeah, a completely different feeling to it. And uh, I'd like to see the extended cut. I liked what Jesse was telling us for this podcast, that... Uh, you have that willow scene more bookended toward the end, which makes a lot more sense. Yep, I, I think that makes a lot more sense. I think it's after the second day that the cop is there instead of the first, which is where we see it. As well as um, some I, extended I mean, I get why it's up front. Also, like when I was a lot younger, I mean, that's probably the scene that kept me watching it, right? But Right. <laughs> you know. Well, I think that's interesting is all the, the history of what was cut and what's in and whatnot. You know, I think there's... Uh, well, I was reading as well that there's like a sequence where Christopher Lee's character explains like how the town works a bit more and how they operate, yeah. like they're, where they get the, the apples or one of their big crops. Like you see this box, you see the apple boxes in the film, let's say like Summer Isle apples, but mm. there's no explanation for them. And even though there's a lot of expository stuff in the film already, like I think the expository stuff, the information you get from it is good. Like you learn about the history of all this in the town. It's just like the delivery is... Like, like, the way in which it's communicated but could be better. It is interesting, because they're supposed to grow their own crops, and he should know that, and he tries to get food from the cafe, right? But they're like, we just have stuff in canned. And he's like, aren't you a farming community? Mm-hmm. I mean, he has so many warnings that... Uh, uh, right, right that something's not right here. And this basically is plea at the end as well, is that, you know, God didn't bring the... You know, like, like your gods didn't bring the crop, sacrifice didn't do that, that's what you guys do, or whatnot. And they, and they all just kind of you know blissfully ignore him yeah um i think that i think it works well like in the in the context of the film that he 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 could have figured these things out for himself but uh he's never gonna be as smart as the director or the viewer so mm-hmm. well, I, I definitely recommend this one as far as horror goes i think i'll probably maybe i'll watch it again during halloween i recommend it for anyone else i'm glad to talk about more horror films on here that's something we need to cover more of yeah, thanks for uh, coming on here for this. Uh, I'm glad you came back. <laughs> yes. <laughs> my, my daughter's a little bit sick, so I'm going to have to run and get her some meds here. So. All right, sounds good. Thanks again, man. We'll be back next week. All right, take care.